coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy hump day to you. I'm going to start the show by talking about one of my favorite subjects, the University of Georgia Bulldogs football team. Unfortunately, it's not going to be talking about the game itself or how good the team is, the two national championships, how they are a presumptive favorite to win the national championship again in the 2023-24 football season. No, I'd love to talk about all of that stuff. Unfortunately, we have to start with what is a disappointing scenario, but not one that I find to be all that unexpected. The University of Georgia football team was eventually invited to the White House to celebrate their national championship. For some reason, however, June 12th doesn't work. And the reason that the university gave is kind of questionable. They declined the invitation with the following statement. The University of Georgia first received on May 3rd an invitation for the Bulldog football team to visit the White House on June 12th. Unfortunately, the date suggested is not feasible given the student-athlete calendar and time of the year. The student-athlete calendar, June 12th. The student-athlete calendar and time of the year, June 12th. It's past spring football. We've already had the spring game. That was last month. The fall, are they on the semester system now? It's quarter when I went there. The fall semester doesn't begin at the University of Georgia until, hang on, let me look that up. Okay, so pulling up the UGA calendar, the spring semester comes to an end, or actually, yeah, grades will come out on May 15th. The summer session, the May session, they call it, registration begins on the 16th, classes begin May 16th as well. Oh, I'm sorry, they've scratched that out. Registration begins on May 15th. Classes begin May 16th. There's drop ad. There's midterm. Withdrawal deadline. Holiday. Memorial Day, of course. May 29th. Classes end June 6th. Final exams, June 7th. Grades due June 12th. Um, Players don't need to be on campus when they get their grades. They can be pretty much wherever, right? That excuse doesn't hold water. Sorry. The football training camp won't even begin until late July, early August. As a University of Georgia football fan, as a University of Georgia athletic fan, as a 27th year sophomore at the University of Georgia, I'd like a better explanation. The calendar doesn't hold water. It just doesn't. The academic calendar does not hold water. Republicans, however, are enjoying this. I don't blame them. Go dogs. That's Congressman Mike Collins tweeting from Athens, Georgia. Go dogs from former Senator Kelly Leffler. Why is she still relevant? Why are we why are we mentioning her? Dragging their feet on inviting to the White House the champions in the state, Biden only won by eleven thousand votes is another dumb move. That's conservative commentator Eric Erickson. I really loathe doing the what about game, but it's kind of hard not to point out that June 12th, by the way, that's an 
not an unusual date for the national championship football team to visit the White House. And I say that because it was on June 12, 2017, that the Clemson University football team visited Donald Trump in the White House. June 12, 2017. Oh, and then there's this little nugget. Apparently, according to Greg Bluestein reporting in the Jolt column, today's AJC, the White House offered several dates earlier this year. That's according to an official who had been briefed on the scheduling back and forth, but they weren't able to reach an agreement. And by the way, there is an update to that story. Greg Trevor, a UGA spokesman, said that that account wasn't accurate. He said no formal date was provided to the university until the White House extended its offer on May 3rd for a June 12th event. By then, many of the title-winning team's players had graduated, transferred, or were drafted to play in the NFL. There have been some members of Congress trying to get a visit set up, but the university had not been offered any date until last week, Trevor said. Unfortunately, by mid-June, many of our players from the championship team are already gone, and our coaches will be hosting major recruiting camps. Again, though, Clemson University made it work June 12, 2017. So the White House made one more effort. They decided to invite other national title teams to the White House all in one day, June 12th, College Athlete Day. But that doesn't work with, according to the athletic department, doesn't work with the academic calendar, it does, and time of year. The time of year thing, maybe I get. Maybe they're looking at the roster, seeing the class schedules and realizing, we don't have enough players here to get together to go to the White House. But don't you think that there would be an effort made to get as many of the championship team together to make that trip? That's The excuses are flimsy, and this kind of makes me sad because the players, the players deserve this honor. And I kind of want to keep my eyes and ears peeled for tweets and reaction from players, current, former, about this decision. It's disappointing. The other headline coming from UGA football circles is that the father of a now-deceased University of Georgia football player is suing. Uh, according to a lawsuit filed, the University of Georgia Athletic Department should be held liable for a January car crash that killed a UGA football player and recruiting analyst. That is according to a new lawsuit filed by that player's father and estate. Uh, reading from the AJC this morning, a lawsuit filed Tuesday in Gwinnett County also assigns blame for the crash to former Georgia defensive star Jalen Carter and to the deceased Chandler LaCroix, the recruiting analyst who died in the crash, along with offensive lineman Devin Willick. The lawsuit also names the owner of an Athens strip club, Toppers International Show Bar, where Carter, LaCroix, and others with the football program had gathered before the crash. The article goes on. Carter, who is serving 12 months probation on charges related to the crash, was driving on a suspended Florida license when he led LaCroix on a high-speed race through Athens early January 15th, the lawsuit alleges. LaCroix's SUV, rented by the university, was traveling at more than 100 miles per hour seconds before it left the roadway and struck utility poles, trees, and an apartment building. Willick was ejected from the vehicle and died at the scene. LaCroix was pronounced dead at an Athens hospital. 
That reporting by Alan Judd, Dylan Jackson at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You'll remember that that accident happened in the early morning hours, the late nights after the university and the city of Athens held a celebration for Georgia winning their second consecutive national championship. And uh, the folks filing that lawsuit, Devin Willick's father, Dave, and Devin's estate. Dave Willick's lawyer uh, is William Stiles, and in an interview, he stated that uh, the lawsuit's, quote, supported by public statements of the university, evidence and statements disclosed in the media by various entities and our own investigation. He went on to say lawsuits are about accountability and justice, and Mr. Willick is seeking accountability for all those involved in the death of his son, Devin, and justice for Devin. There's also this, uh, according to the AJC, Dave Willick also intends to file a separate lawsuit against the university itself, not just the athletic department, the athletic association, and Chandler LaCroix's family, but also a separate lawsuit against the university. And maybe, maybe this awful night tragedy, avoidable loss of life, maybe that sort of puts a damper on any notion of boarding a plane as a team and going to the White House. I, I don't I don't know. Do, do you give that excuse? Do you do you use that as a somber note for declining? I don't know. Uh, did the team take a vote? Again, I don't know. This is something that will blow over in time, though. There's not going to be a whole lot of heat and hostility. I can certainly understand if the team chose not to take this trip after what happened in Athens that night and the loss of lives. I, I can understand the team deciding not to do that. I can decide I, I can I can understand the coaches reading the room, getting a temperature of the team and saying we just we just need to decline it and give a reason. What I do have a problem with, however, is that they came up with an excuse that doesn't make any sense. Come up with a rational reason if you don't want to just come right out and say, you know, given the circumstances that transpired after our celebration in Athens, the the, the team is appreciative of the invite. However, out of respect for the loss of teammates and loved ones, we don't feel like celebrating. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you word it, but I, I do think you, you do your best to try and avoid making something political out of something that may not be political. We have enough of that in this country. Do we not of taking something apolitical and it becoming political? Can we not do that with something as simple and uh, as honorable as being invited to the White House to celebrate an achievement? Instead, though, we're getting this back and forth between university spokespeople and the White House about how the 
scheduling either was or wasn't coming together. And uh, again, we're, we're turning this into something political. That may very well be apolitical. Now, I remember early in the spring, or maybe it was late in the winter, when there were a lot of murmurs about, well, is Biden going to invite them? Is this, is this going to happen? And there was a lot of political jawing from the right about that then. In fact, now I remember doing an entire segment on this and talked about the, the dates and the years that national championship football teams had come to the White House and how this late invite, if you can call it that, isn't really all that unusual or maybe not even late. Again, Clemson University made it happen June 12, 2017 for Donald J. Trump. So what is it? I have to think Clemson lost some players to the draft and transfer and graduation, but there were still enough people showing up to get photos and deliver a jersey to the president then. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. Earlier today, Georgia Democrats convened at the state capitol press conference calling for a special general assembly session to give Brian Kemp options to help stem gun violence in the state of Georgia. That leads off the second half of this show. In the meanwhile, if you are a Twitterer or a Facebooker or are you on Blue Sky now? Everybody's talking about Blue Sky. Maybe I should get on Blue Sky. Spoutable? There's all these new social media channels. Alternatives to Twitter, which, by the way, is bringing in Tucker Carlson, much to Elon Musk's glee. It might be time to get off of Twitter. (laughs) Uh, I've been putting it off for a minute, but yeah. So this video has been making the rounds the last couple of days, ever since the Allen mass shooting. Uh, And it's actually not a new video. This was one that the FBI first shared on YouTube in September of 2020. Anyway, it's making the rounds again on uh, uh, Twitter and TikTok. Um, And where did I see it from? Oh, uh, here it was. Violence, if you ever need to travel to Purge Land, United States of Idiocracy, follow these instructions. This was something that the, the FBI put out back in 2023. In this FBI training video, customers at a bar are caught in an active shooter event. The FBI's description reads, By employing the run, hide, and fight tactics, as well as knowing the basics of rendering first aid to others, they are prepared, empowered, and able to survive the attack. The video includes tips such as running makes you harder to hit and improves your chances of survival, along with if we control the weapon, we control the shooter. The FBI advises people to run for an exit, if possible, hide if there's no safe uh, escape route, and fight only as a last resort. And for those who do choose to fight, the FBI reminds viewers, quote, you're fighting for your life. Don't fight fair. Um, I'm going to let you listen to the video. I'll also share it in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com so that you can get an idea of the severity of what the FBI realizes is a problem in these United States of America. Can I get you started with drinks? Oh, sorry, I gotta take this. We'll need a minute. Oh, Jesus. No, 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 I'm here. Man, you need to back up. You can't be here anymore. Get out of my face. What, man. You think I'm afraid of you? Get off me!
patrons all hitting the ground, crawling behind bars and tables. Girl sees an exit. Mass hysteria. Running makes you harder to hit and improves your chances of survival. Don't go up here. Police, where is he? Uh, by the bar, blue jeans, black shirt. Empty hands up, follow their instructions. direct pressure to the wound to stop the bleeding until we can find a tourniquet. Someone's been hit. Time. Turn off your phones and make a plan to defend yourself. If you're prepared. Remember, run, hide, or fight. Run. Wherever you go, be aware of alternate exits. Quickly and cautiously evacuate in a direction away from the attacker. Don't hesitate. Seconds matter. Remember windows and emergency exits. Leave belongings behind. Keep your empty hands raised and clearly visible when exiting a building. Follow all instructions from the police. Don't stop until you're sure you've reached a safe location. Hide. If there is no safe escape route, find a good hiding place. Lock and barricade the door. Silence cell phones. Prepare a defense plan. Fight. Fight only as a last resort. Use available objects as improvised weapons. Use teamwork and surprise. A coordinated ambush can incapacitate an attacker. You're fighting for your life. Don't fight fair. Stop the bleed. A victim can die of uncontrolled blood loss in five minutes or less. Apply pressure or a tourniquet to control severe bleeding. Go to fbi.gov slash survive to learn more. And that's where we are, America. Nowadays, in fact, they need to make one of these 
aimed at school children so that school kids know what to do in an active shooter situation. I mean, we're, we're literally getting back to the point where we're, it's not tornado drills. Or like for, I guess my parents, maybe they were doing the, uh, the bomb drills, the nuclear bomb drills. No, now we're doing active shooter drills. And literally the FBI three years ago made one that they intended to, I guess, make widely available and viewable. I just don't know why it's only now coming out, coming to light. So that adults just going out to have a bite or a drink at a nearby bar and grill are aware what to do in case of an active shooter scenario. All right, we're going to have uh, audio from that press conference the uh, Georgia Democratic uh, House and Senate members held earlier in the state capitol. We'll get that to you in minutes. Here on The Ron Show on the America One Radio app and AmericaOneRadio.com. Back after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So not just on the heels of a mass shooting in Midtown Atlanta, but on the heels of... Well, what is an epidemic of mass shootings throughout these United States after the repeal of the assault weapons ban in 2004, Georgia Democrats decided today that they wanted to call for a special session of the General Assembly to try and find common ground with their Republican colleagues to get something actionable done to stem what has become Epidemic. I'm going to let you listen to some of that. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. We gather today in mourning for the Georgians who recently lost their lives to senseless gun violence. It's past time for Georgia leaders to do more than just send thoughts and prayers. We are demanding action to end gun violence. Last week, the shooting in Midtown Atlanta left four Georgians wounded and one dead. The shooter led police on an eight-hour manhunt. Metro Atlanta schools were locked down, businesses were shuttered, and people across the city hid in fear. Just one day later in Moultrie, Georgia, another gunman went on, to sh- on a shooting rampage, killing his grandmother, his mother, and the third victim before killing himself. These mass shootings do not even include the daily gun violence in many of our communities. Georgia has the highest rate of gun homicides and gun assaults in this country, the eighth highest. And firearms are leading the cause of death for Georgia's children and teens. A Georgia dies by gun suicide every 10 hours on average, every 10 hours. We cannot, should not live like this. The epidemic of gun violence affects us all. Parents send their children to school every morning with a pit in their stomach. Too many people have gone to church, churches, spas, doctor's offices, grocery stores, malls, parks, concerts, but never return home due to senseless gun violence. The growing threat that anyone could be next hangs over all Georgians and our constituents don't wanna live like this anymore. Democrats have been leading on gun safety legislation for years. Republicans continue to hide behind excuses. Mm-hmm. It's time for us to put politics aside and lead to protect the lives of all lives of all Georgians. 
I say to the Republican leadership, who currently control the State House, the State Senate, and the Governor's Mansion. Lead, don't hide. To add insult to injury, the day after these tragic events happened, Georgia's governor of this great state cut funding to mental health by millions of dollars. During the 2023 legislative session, Democrats proposed 16 bills to reduce gun violence. Not one, not one was given a vote. We're calling for a special legislative session to consider the following bills. HB 44, universal background checks. HB 135, you can applaud. <laughs> HB 135 and 161, safe storage bills. I mean, common sense. It's just common sense and infringes on no one's rights. HB 584, the Georgia Red Flag Protective Order Act. Right. Would have prevented the Colorado shooting if the local sheriff had been using it. And last but certainly not least, I would have to throw in HB uh, 19, the state budget. We need to look at what he just did with those 33 pages of cuts. These common sense measures are proven policy solutions to curb gun violence. It is no surprise that a strong bipartisan majority of Georgians support the passage of these gun safety bills. Gun violence affects communities of all over this great state, which is why we need our leaders to lead and put the, the lives of Georgians before politics. This is why we're calling for a special legislative session. It's time for the Republicans. By the way, this is House Minority Leader Representative James Beverly. The urgency, the urgency, the urgency, the urgency of Georgia's gun violence epidemic warrants an equal and urgent response. Lives will be lost every day that Georgia leaders, Republicans, fail to lead. We say lead, don't hide. The time is now. Now I'll pass it to my dear colleague, Senator Elena Perry. Thank you, uh, Leader Beverly. Uh, my name is Elena Parent. I am honored to serve as the chairwoman of the Senate Democratic Caucus. Like many communities, here we are again. We are mournful for the precious life lost last week and the many survivors and their families whose lives will be forever marked by tragedy. The shooting, in Midtown last week imposed collective trauma on millions of people during the many hours of the manhunt. We are outraged that we are forced to live with gun violence. We are terrified that we could be next or our child or another loved one could be next. We are exhausted 
because we have spoken out, we have donated, we have lobbied and marched time and time again, begging for the violence to stop. No right is absolute. All rights afforded each of us must be balanced against other people's rights. The Constitution may have a Second Amendment, but it starts with ensuring domestic tranquility. And the right of domestic tranquility is being denied to us each and every day. The misuse of guns and the frequency of terrifying incidents are an everyday occurrence. With 200 mass shootings logged already this year in our country. This, I argue, is a predictable consequence of a complex society with almost no restrictions in some states like ours on who, where, and when someone can acquire deadly weapons, including those that can kill dozens in minutes. As no right is absolute, it must be balanced against other rights. The position taken by our Republican colleagues that no laws should be changed in response to the crisis of gun violence in Georgia is not sustainable because the people are crying out for change and the voters are demanding change. We must and we will change this. We will march on. We must all pull together for as long as it takes to crack the code to stop the guns before they stop us. Each of us has a role to play. Each of us must do what we can because there is no one person, organization, or policy that can fix this. But in our legislative role, in my legislative role, I say the level of carnage in our society must be addressed by the people who have been elected to set policy for this great state of Georgia, lawmakers, the governor, and the lieutenant governor. not going to be here screaming out to those that already agree with me. I am calling my Republican colleagues to see if they might be willing to talk and listen so we can find a path forward for some legislative solutions that will help. Minority Leader Beverly laid out some that are widely supported by the public, gun safety measures that are common sense. We do not need every Republican elected in this General Assembly to come to the table but we need enough to penetrate the barrier of the majority.
I'm hopeful that by knocking on the door of reason and humanity incessantly, we might just get a safe storage bill passed. Guns are the number one killer of children a number of years running. With Republican legislators in Texas considering raising the age to buy AR-15s from 18 to 21, a modest but important step, with the Republican governor of Tennessee calling for a red flag law, and even with the U.S. Congress coming together to make modest progress after Uvalde, I have hope and we will continue to march on. And what can all of you do? A lot. Republicans control our state's agenda, which is why, as Leader Beverly said, none of the 16 gun safety measures received a vote. And let's not forget that many of these me measures have been pending for decades or more. A decade or more. The Republicans may control the agenda, but they do not control you. You can work to change Republican elected officials' minds, and please do not forget that you can run for office, and you can vote for Democrats. Yes. And you can reach and teach your communities to do the same. Together, we are the solution, and we do have the power. Thank you. And now I'm honored to call up to the podium my good friend and colleague, uh, House Minority Whip, Sam Park. Good morning, everyone. So I wanted to thank first um, all the folks who've gathered here to demand an end to gun violence and to hold all of us elected officials accountable to do the right thing. Thank you to Leader Beverly, the Georgia House Minority Leader, for his remarks. Thank you to the chair of the Senate Democratic Caucus for her remarks, and certainly thank you to the members of the media here gathered to amplify our voices demanding action now. I know this is a challenging circumstance that we're in. These are difficult times. But we have to remind ourselves that we do hold the power to bring about change. We do not have to live in constant fear of gun violence. The elected officials here who are gathered along with more than 70 who have signed a letter calling for a special session, we stand with the people and demanding action now to address this epidemic of gun violence. So I, I want to just go through the rest of the program, but before doing so, uh, if y'all would join me in also thanking Representative Syra Draper, who really took the lead in organizing this press conference and bringing us all together. Thank you, Representative Draper. 
So for the rest of the program, for the rest of this press conference, we'll have uh, Joshua Anthony come and speak first, who will be sharing the perspective as a student and a young person. Next, we'll then have Dr. Claudia Fruin, uh, who will share the perspective as a pediatrician, a grandmother, and a gun, and a gun owner. After Dr. Fruin, we'll have Laura Judge to share the perspective of a veteran and a mother. And then lastly, we'll have Janet Paulson to share the perspective of a survivor of gun violence. Then I'll be uh, taking it, uh, t uh, then we'll open it up for questions, which I'd be happy to take. And just so you know, we're not going to air this entire press conference because uh, this goes on for another it's 51 minus 19, <laughs> 32 minutes. And I don't have 32 minutes to give you for the rest of the show, but I am going to share this video in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com so that you can see the entire press conference in its entirety, okay? Suffice to say, while one party is trying to protect your kids from drag queen story hour, the other party is actually working to protect your kids from the next mass shooting. Back after this. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Wednesday. I'm looking forward to getting the show done and then hitting the road so I can go check out the Braves and the Red Sox, who, by the way, the, the Braves just laid it on last night. I think they're calling up a AAA pitcher. This is my luck. I, I get tickets to a Braves game weeks in advance, and uh, they, they call up a AAA pitcher because Max Reed can't pitch. He's got a bad forearm on the disabled list for a couple weeks, so I get to see Dylan Dodd. I, you know what? I'm sure he'll be great. I know a lot of these guys pitch really well in spring training. Just wasn't looking forward to seeing Dylan Dodd take on the Boston Red Sox. But hey, if the Braves can score like they did last night, they scored nine runs on the Red Sox, maybe it won't matter who's starting. Anyway, looking forward to that. Taking a couple of friends of a friend of mine who are visiting from out of town, actually from out of this country. I do not speak much Cuban Spanish, but wish us luck. Uh, this kind of flew under the radar, and The Current at uh, thecurrentga.org reported this. Last month, Governor Brian Kemp appointed Mark W. Hennessy to the 19-member board of the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. Hennessy is the CEO of a group of luxury car dealerships in the, the metro Atlanta area. Oh, Hennessy Lexus. Yeah. You're like, okay, what's the big deal, Ron? Uh, his name may be familiar lately because he's also one of the 16 so-called fake electors from Georgia who signed a fraudulent electoral vote certificate that was submitted to Congress as part of the failed attempt to claim Donald Trump was the 2020 or won the 2020 election. Half of the fake electors have accepted immunity deals in the Atlanta area criminal investigation of the matter. It was reported last week, but those accepting the deal weren't named and it's unclear if Hennessy might have been one of them. I don't know. I, maybe I'm the only one that found that interesting. I just found that interesting. Governor Kemp, not exactly on the Trump train, wasn't interested in participating in the Stump the Steal campaign or participate in any way in the fake elector strategy. And yet, at the end of the day, once the dust settles, Republican good old boy going to Republican good old boy. While we're talking the coast, let's uh, focus in on Brunswick, Georgia. And remember the Ahmaud Arbery case where it turns out the local district attorney sort of maybe meddled in the prosecution of uh, Arbery's now convicted murderers? Well, the criminal case against that former Brunswick Judicial Circuit district attorney, her name's Jackie Johnson, 
has been delayed, according to the Brunswick News. Uh, But they do say it's not going to go away, the Georgia Attorney General's office said. We're fully prepared to present our case in court. That is Kara Richardson speaking on behalf of the Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr's office. Our goal has always been and continues to be to ensure maximum justice for Ahmaud Arbery and his family. The uh, article goes on to state Johnson was scheduled to appear in court on December 29th, 2022 for a hearing on a motion by her defense attorney to dismiss the case. She's represented by St. Mary's-based attorney John Osick and Atlanta-based attorney Brian Steele. The hearing was postponed because of timing conflicts on the part of the defense team, Richardson said. Johnson has waived her arraignment and pled not guilty. As of Tuesday, nothing new had been filed in the case, and nothing new has been scheduled in Glynn County Superior Court since the postponed hearing. Richardson said it is up to Judge John Turner of the Ogeechee Judicial Circuit to schedule the next stages of the case. Let's backtrack a little bit. Y'all, it's been 14 months since the former Glynn County District Attorney, Jackie Johnson, had been indicted. She was accused of hindering the police investigation in the aftermath of the Arbery murder. But that's kind of strange. 14 months. Arraignments usually happen within weeks or months of an indictment, in which case the defendant is formally made aware of the charges and enters a plea. That has never happened to me in a case going that long without an arraignment. That is the word of criminal defense attorney Dwight Thomas, who's been practicing in Metro Atlanta for decades. He's speaking to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Bill Rankin when asked about the uniqueness of this circumstance. 14 months it's taking, but you know now there's a, a new law in Georgia that gives this new state board the authority to kick prosecutors out of their job who don't follow through on charging for abortion cases and other situations that the Republican-led General Assembly and governor have signed on for, but that local prosecutors believe or stand behind their voters for not agreeing with. That would be Senate Bill 92, which Governor Brian Kemp signed last Friday. And according to BoltzMag.org, that law adds to the Republicans' nationwide crackdown against reform-minded prosecutors who have adopted such declination policies. Texas Republicans are in the process of passing a bill meant to force the hand of district attorneys who have ruled out enforcing abortion bans. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis removed Tampa's prosecutor from office in August. You remember that last year? Uh, Pointing to statements he'd made about protecting abortion. Similar moves are underway in other states. Here in Georgia, that bill sets up a new board with the authority to oust district attorneys who don't fulfill their duties. It also redefines the duties of the district attorneys. And so what counts as grounds for removal to specify that they cannot, quote, categorically refuse to prosecute offenses that they are, quote, by law required to prosecute. Now, there's a lot of talk about, you know, are they going after Fonnie Willis in Fulton County? She, of course, is going after Donald Trump and the fake electors. But the prime target is a woman by the name of Deborah Gonzalez, the Democratic District Attorney of Athens, Clark County, and Oconee Counties. She rolled out reforms that ended prosecution over marijuana possession. Marijuana possession, y'all. She also joined other Georgia District Attorneys in saying that she would not prosecute abortion. So now that Kemp has signed that bill into law as of last Friday, let's keep our eye on that situation and see how hastily justice moves in that scenario while we still await 14 months later for the district attorney who sought to keep Ahmaud Arbery's killers free from prosecution 
to face her charges. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Go Braves!